Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Phil Kraus Survival Podcast. It's Mike G, your host, and I got GB, George Bell. What's going on, everybody? Hello, George. Uh, Mike, what's been going on? I don't know. I feel like you just rehearsed. Did you type that out? And then I did. I'm kind of like rehearsing my, my what I'm going to say, like a little sheet, so I don't sound like a weirdo. You don't sound a dumb. Weirdo. You don't sound like a weirdo? Um, I'm sick. We had the Rough Rider 100, and um, now I'm sick because of it. Thank yeah, you, Rough Rider 100. Tell us about the race, man. You had fun. I had a good time. I mean, it was uh, an early morning on a, we set up on Friday. It all runs. No, we set up on Saturday early, uh-huh. and then uh, it was like snowing, then it turned into like freezing rain. It, it snowed rained. like 15 times on this. Yeah. Then the wind, it was just not, it, it was one of those times where we all suffered but it was fun. We just joked. It was and had fun. A good time. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a good time. We made like twenty bucks in coffee sales. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we sold like one hat. There was like two people. Came hey, by, it's okay. Know? It's okay. Hey, what's up, Gina? Gina's on the uh, live feed. Hello, oh, hey, Gina. Gina. Um, if you guys are tuning in, we're on a live podcast on uh, on our Mike.a.glover account, but also. Um, this is a podcast, shooting the shit podcast, and uh, we want to talk about a whole bunch of things. That's why I shoot in the shit. We assimilate all this stuff. Um, Steve just said, "Can you pop in the shop before you disappear today? I need your input on the secret black ops project." Oh, absolutely, damn. yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's black ops though when uh, you talk about it in an open forum on social media. I know he doesn't get it. He doesn't, he doesn't get, get it. it. We have to. It's the marine mentality, yeah. man. They're yeah. they're yeah, it's quiet professional. Yeah, they're the different breed, man. You need them to blow stuff up and uh, kill lots of bad guys. Yeah. You send them in Marines. That's all. Black Ops. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Steve. <laughs> just just kidding. <laughs> uh, don't mess up our holsters. Uh, all right. So the, the, the cool thing about shooting the shit podcast is it's fluid. And uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to discuss is some topics that have been thrown around uh, in, the, in the last week. Also, some upcoming training, upcoming things we got planned. Um, good stuff on the um, the podcast sponsorship, 25-meter oh, targets. Yeah. Um, this week, I'm going to be reviewing the Glock 43X, which I have one right in front of me, and the new Glock 48. If you guys are interested in that, uh, you guys could check it out on IGTV. I'll also be doing it live, and, and I'll be plugging it on YouTube as well. But the thing about the Glock 43X is it's single stack, but it's thicker in width in the frame, and so it feels a lot better in the hand. And then the Glock 48's the same exact um, frame, except it's a little longer. Um, that's what she said. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I was real mature, Mike. Um, I take that back. Um, so one of the problems I've had with my Glock 43 um, is it's too compact. It's like too small for your hand. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. it's just a lot of people are complaining about it's too small. Yeah, even with the like the plus two on the mag. It still can't get a good. It's like yeah. jumpy in my hand. I got to really. It's real jumpy. It's real snappy on the grip. And, and my whole thing is, if it if I only need to add an extra inch in order to man, this is becoming real <laughs> sexual, man. If I only have to add an extra inch to the uh, the backside of it, um, <laughs> what are we what are we talking about? Uh, Glock forty eight. Um, yeah. So if you're looking at Glock forty eight. Um, Glock 43X, uh, stay tuned for the review because um, honestly, I'm looking for the perfect ADC setup, especially for summertime. Mm-hmm. And so 
I'll, I'll have the opportunity to shoot them this week and then run and gun them and then see what the best setup is. Also, right now as we speak, Steve should be <laughs> making a, uh, a holster for the Glock 48. So by, by the end of this week, by the time you see this video, you will have the opportunity to purchase a low-vis Glock 48 uh, holster from Philcraft Survival. Also, you should know if you got a Glock 43X, the Glock 43 holster fits the Glock 43X. So uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and make sure you note that, man. We, we need to advertise that and make sure that on site. people know. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, the review is going to be on YouTube for all those people tuning in to the live feed. And I keep hitting this damn cable and it keeps making noise. You hear that? Mm -hmm. That's... That's our studio, man. Very, yeah. AKA a table, a chair. And that's part of the way ahead, too. We're going to update the studio. and Yeah. Tell them about the uh, Fuji mats. We got the uh, Fuji mats. Oh, we ordered a whole basically dojo setup. We got uh, about a 26 by 26 like layout for mats. Yeah. Um, and then we got, you know, got we, had a, we did it right. We got a, the subfloor, then the, the, the regular mats, and then we got around the wall. We got about 26 feet along the wall so there's padding on the wall as well when you're you know rolling up against the wall or doing whatever kind of uh scenario uh training for Getting that smashed against the wall then we're having we're gonna we're, we'll have uh was it two uh heavy bags mm -hmm. for you know strikes kicks whatever you want to do and then uh i think that's it but we'll have our logo on the uh on the wall so it'd be the official field craft survival fuji mats collaboration um and those should be here way before march 9th before our first course so I'm excited to get it because I need to lose some weight, and that's the best way I'll... I'll you need to get your ass beat, man. You've yeah. been getting caught. Ever since you became a civilian, the <laughs> ego, oh, my gosh, man. It's like he's like a, he's like a squad leader out of Ranger Regiment, yeah, man. Like Just civilian George came cocky, out. I'm man. not taking no more shit because I can't get in trouble right now. Yeah, you can't get in trouble. You know, what's but, someone do? Tell on me? Yeah, you going to catch a felony? Big yeah, deal. Yeah, I don't that's care. No, nobody cares. Let's do it. Man. So, yeah, the dojo is important because we got this close proximity training coming out. March 9th is our first class. Got uh, Jim Miller coming out. If you guys are listening to this, Jim Miller is a UFC lightweight fighter from the UFC, and he's got the most – is it the most wins? The most wins. In the um, UFC in his, and lightweight. In yeah, his in his lightweight division, yeah. And uh, Jim Miller is an avid hunter. I think he does a little bit of carnivore slash uh keto yeah he uh he, he's he got lyme disease yeah, right? he had lyme disease and he had a time where i think he was he lost like three in a row or something like that then he figured out you know he changed his diet and then um and he's and he won he started winning and you know was able to compete a little better i guess with his health and uh yeah he's yeah. doing jim miller will be here march 9th we'll be doing uh he'll be attending the carbine course the next day in chino valley hanging out doing podcast I'm going to make a bunk bed for him, man. Jim Miller's going to yeah. hang out at the house, just be hanging out. And then Ra Raul Martinez. Um, Raul, we had a good podcast with Raul, right? Yeah, we did. What else you got? Um, well, Raul's teaching close proximity. Yeah, he's the main instructor, the, the head instructor. <laughs> and we'll be kind of AIing and, you know, and being his... Uh, I guess he'll be beating up on us for his, you know, showing us how to do all the. Uh, well, you'll techniques. be doing that. Yeah. Well, you know, Raul, he's an undercover narc. I shouldn't say that because he could probably get targeted. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a narc. Well, no, he, on his Instagram, he had pictures of himself, remember, uh, in the. Undercover? Undercover. With his okay. Stuff okay. On, you know. So that's not me. If something happens to Raul yeah, Martinez. Check his Instagram. Cartel, man. That's it's not me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
But Raul has a lot of experience in close proximity fights. And, and the reason we went with the dojo is because, I mean, the reality is if you find yourself in a close, close proximity fight, if the first time you're figuring it out is when you're getting your ass beat by a dude trying to jack you, um, probably the wrong time to figure it out. And yeah. there's not a lot of courses and classes that teach the hybrid between close proximity combatives with your a physical confrontation with your hands and then utilizing a firearm. And so, you know, that's, that's why I bash on Instagram tacticians who are trying to teach a tactic via a one-minute video on Instagram is you have to understand that there's complex uh, variables involved in making a decision, and you have to work those out. I mean, what is the decision of when I need to go to my pistol and defend my life? What well, depends on really the state that you live in, uh, the state or predicament you find yourself in, um, the proximity of space, and all those things because of the dojo that we have Utilizing airsoft and simunitions, we're going to be able to flush a lot of that stuff out, and I think it's going to be the best training that's offered um, in the industry space. Look, we're real picky. I mean, we've been vetting guys, uh, Darren, Glenn, Raul. Um, what, what we'll do is we'll have fighters come in, teach their kind of skill set, which will benefit you as a, as a combative uh, tactician um, or individual who's into self-defense. And then we'll bring in the expert classes like level one, level two, level three to be able to teach you how to work through some of those scenarios. And I'm excited about it because it gets us back into combatives. I mean, yeah. me and George combatives history goes way back. I know. And I, uh, I remember I was, you know, I don't remember this, but Mike claims that I broke his You don't foot. remember that? I don't remember. I mean, um, I, I don't know if it was me or not. but It was you. We were tied up. We were doing, I think, a, a clinch drill and... Mm. We were going back and forth, and I guess I made a, you know, I tried to get my footing right, and I stomped on his, uh, what was it, right foot? Yeah. In his right foot, and I broke his right foot. I was an instructor at the NCO Academy, and Mike was going through the uh, the uh, senior, like the ANOC, uh, was a senior leader course. Yeah. And uh, and George broke my foot. And I stomped on his foot. And, and then I was at a cast, so yeah. you couldn't miss me. I was a dude with a cast <laughs> after you broke my foot. But one thing I do like about this course is like I'm not worried about getting a belt or like because you like I, I've done jujitsu before and like you go and you go and you go and like you know you got your white belt and you know you got your blue belt your purple belts brown belts all the colors and it's like it, it gets a little intimidating because you're like man I want to get my little stripe or something but for this course I think it's good because anyone and everyone can come and and do it there's no no pressure on like. Oh, he's a black belt. He's going to whip my ass. 100%. You know? So yeah. it's just, there's really no pressure. You come in and you learn, and you learn how to fight. And that's the thing. Like, you have to, like, I, I'm sorry. If you're a man or a woman or whatever, and you're out in the world, in this crazy world we have, if you don't know how to fight or defend yourself, there's something wrong. Like, at least know this basic something, you know, on how to throw a punch or yeah. throw a kick or get away. You know what I mean? Like, something. Yeah, we're very. And that's what we're going to offer. I mean, this is going to be a good, a good course. So. Well, it's it's we're create we're creating the right environment to learn. I mean, there's no egos here. We're not trying to beat people up, and you know, if you're male, female, gender fluid, whatever, whatever. you identify bring as, it bring it on. Unicorns alike, you guys could just bring it, or not guys, but whatever you guys want to do, just show up and let's train, man. Let's go. Um, I think it's going to be a fun course, man. I'm looking forward to it. And that dojo is going to be so oh, it's sexy, gonna be so man. Nice. It's going to be nice. Uh, it's going to oh, yeah. be nice, man. 
Can we suplex each other on the when when it comes in? Yeah, yeah. We gotta make just you know make sure you fall right so we're not hurting each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it like WWF, like old school. Yeah, we gotta get 10. some. We gotta get some mitts and some uh, gloves now. We gotta get the glove. If you guys uh, are listening to this podcast, you wanna you wanna send some uh, fr- <laughs> free <laughs> pads, or you gotta hook up at the gym. Yeah, let's well, go. What's crazy is there's a whole bunch of people. Like I've run across like bags of fighting equipment and gear along in my career. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, dang, man, I, I, I need that bag. Kept that. I kept, I know, you I know? had all of it. I had um, a whole bag and I sold it at a garage. So I was just like, I'll never use this again. I know. And here we are. Here we are. So, uh, one, we are preparing for a big snowstorm, which the United States has been getting hit by these snowstorms. I mean, that cold snap, that polar Arctic uh, flush from... Um, from the Arctic uh, up north that swept through the country, specifically the n- northern uh, part of the country, and then into the northeast, and even as far down as Florida, where it was freezing, um, you had temperatures of negative in the dozens of dig- digits. You know, it was like really cold as a, as a cold snap, and it was um, to blame for over 10 people's deaths um, that were involved. Look, take... Take the elements seriously when, uh, uh, if you're a seasonal prepper, uh, take it at least take it take it serious um, before the fact. There's so many people that, you know, they don't take the the inclement weather serious. And the next thing you know, you got a big storm, and then they're going to fight for resources, for water, for whatever it may be to prepare for the disaster. When you could do all that stuff in advance, tell them about um, Mountain House. We just added the. Couple oh, mountain house yeah, stuff. we got uh, we got mountain house in stock. We have the uh, the three day uh, kit and we have the fourteen day kit. And what it does is basically there's um, a variety of a variety of just different uh, meals that you get in there. And uh, so we have that. And then if anybody out there needs like a specific you know or any recommendations on what else would be good to have in stock, let us know. And well, we'll tell them about order. the other thing we're going to have in stock. Oh, we just got to order a box of our crickets in. Our crickets, man. So we have a, a protein powder. Uh, we have whole roasted crickets, and that's, yeah. and then little flavor that? snacks. We have little, little snack, little packs. snack. So those will be on getting on the website probably this week or next week, and then uh, those will be able be able uh, available for purchase. So, so one of the things people like thought I was joking with this whole cricket uh, protein thing. I want you guys look. Here's the thing is I have to educate people about crickets in order for people to be convinced, right? And people who are advocates for um, sustainable, uh, renewable energy, food, resources, ag, etc. Um, even if you're a, a conservationist and you're into taking care of the, uh, the country and taking care of uh, our world, then you need to pay attention to crickets because cricket protein. I'm trying to. I'm going to pull up Intama Farms, uh, which is the guys that we use um, to sp- just spit a couple of statistics. And look, it, this st- once a couple of the statistics are: if you use cricket protein as one of your meals one day a week, you'll reduce uh, the greenhouse gas effect, and you'll 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 save uh, thousands and thousands of liters of water. Because the alternative is beef, chicken, um, pork, and 56 billion farm animals get slaughtered every year in America. 56 billion. That's a lot of protein. And if you just take um, your protein supplementation and just replace it with one meal, that's a good start point. 
and I'm no, I'm like, I'm not under, I'm, you know, this isn't um, me in a fantasy world. Look, I, I don't think that a lot of people are going to pick up the cricket packets and be like, I'm, I'm changing my views or my life or whatever it is. But if you're a, if you're a, into conservation, you're into protecting our environment, then it's something you should pay attention to. I mean, eating a cow from beef that you source from a Walmart or a grocery store anywhere in America, that's not really responsible um, ownership of conservation of the, of the planet. And think about like you buy a pound of beef, how many cows are in that one pound? You know, it's oh, hundred percent. Like not just one cow. If you get like from a like a farm that you know, like down the road or something like that. Yeah, it, the, just the the yield rate. I mean, two billion people across the the uh, the globe eat um, insects, and that includes beetles, caterpillars, wasps, ants, grasshoppers, locusts, crickets. Um, what I want to do is educate people on how kind of the process works. Um, <coughs> our crickets will be up on the website tomorrow, and I want people to try it. I want you to try the, the protein supplementation of cricket protein and introduce the insect powder into your shakes, into your smoothies. Um, try the little cricket snacks and get used to it. If you could just augment just a little bit of your diet with uh, insect protein, it's going to be better off for the world, and it's sustainable. When we talk about re- sustainable protein for long duration, which is sustainable survival, um, it's unrealistic to, to expect that the agriculture game is going to sustain uh, a catastrophe. We're not going to be able to grow beef like we uh, grow beef when the infrastructure is impl- imploded on itself and it collapsed. So you have to be able to figure out what, what can you do on your own. So let me throw out some stuff. One, the average adult needs approximately 46 to 56 grams of protein every day. For someone who eats three meals a day and two snacks, this amount of protein can be divided by five, which is approximately 11 grams of protein per eating session. Each tablespoon, one tablespoon of cricket powder is 10 grams in weight and has seven grams of protein and 42 calories. So for example, in a typical day, like uh, say for example, someone wanted to consume only insect protein, she could have... He or she could have two tablespoons of cricket powder added to her breakfast pancakes, which is 14 grams of protein, just over 80 calories. For mid-morning snack, she could have a smoothie with one and a half tablespoons of cricket powder. And then for lunch, a bowl of chili, add two or three tablespoons of cricket powder. Salad wraps, four to six tablespoons of roasted crickets. And her afternoon snack could be salt sublinted with two tablespoons of cricket powder served with tortilla chips. And dinner could be fritters. And then you have an implementation of one day of cricket insect powder and, pro- and protein that could be better off for the environment. And um, let me tell you, um, high in omega, has a perfect ratio of six to three, rich in protein, full of iron, uh, long shelf life, low in fat and calories, less taxing on ag- agriculture, less taxing on freshwater resources, uh, less greenhouse gases produced in livestock, and it's just better off for for uh, our country, man, for our world. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, they sell the protein powder. So if you're like, oh, I can't eat a cricket, well, there's your alternative. You have a protein powder. You don't even know it's a powder. It's you a powder, know, exactly. You know. And you add it to whatever you want to eat. And if you know you add the whole crickets, you put them in something and, and cover them up with some salsa and some chips. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna notice it. We've eaten them for since December when we started doing this, and you really don't you don't even notice that you're eating a bug. Not at cricket, all. So, uh, my, dude, I, I will tell you, man, I love those uh, chip, those cricket chips, those chirps, those chirps. Oh, those chirps are I on tear, point. I tear those <laughs> chirps up, man. 
Um, hey, so we will have for sale our cricket uh, or line of cricket stuff for, for you guys to try out. And uh, we'll have the powder. If it's if it's whole crickets, it's they're, they're roasted crickets. And a little bit about the process because I was really a stickler when it came to understanding the farming process. Look, when these crickets reach a, reach a certain age, they're fasted, and then they, they just turn up the temperature on them, and they simply die. Uh, it's really humane as far as if you're, in, if you're into um, um, cricket huma- <laughs> humanity. <laughs> um, but it's ethical. Uh, they just freeze them. And basically what they are is they're roasted, and when they're roasted, uh, they put seasoning on them. I think my favorite are the, like the lime uh, cilantro. And we'll have those little sample packs available so you guys can try it. And if you're into cricket protein, uh, at least if you try it, maybe you could see if it's something that you could tolerate and add to your diet. And I think we'll all be better off for it. So, yeah, cricket protein, man. Um, something else I want to talk about is uh, today I was talking about AI. And um, I kind of sparked a couple conversations. People were asking me a, a whole bunch of questions on it, which is always good. And they're talking about the automation of existing jobs and artificial intelligence, which is AI. And I got asked by Off Grid Magazine, look, Off Grid was just here that we actually, I think I could say this on a a podcast, but um, that we're going to be on their cover of one of the Off Grid Magazines, uh, George and I. Um, Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we're on the back cover. No, they're (laughs) going to Photoshop me out. Mike will be on there. Maybe, man. I I can't guarantee anything, man. I'm thank you for the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It was a really cool opportunity. And, they did the interview with us, and we're big fans of Recoil Magazine and Off Grid Magazine and Ian Harrison and all the guys at Recoil. Um, but anyways, they, they, they asked me a question, and it, and it kind of stuck with me a little bit because it made me flush out a lot of thoughts and do some research and stuff. But they, I was asked, I was like, I was like hey, um, what do you think the biggest issue that our nation is going to face, especially urban uh, areas, are going to face in the realm of survival? And my answer is, uh, is really definitive, and, and I think this is uh, kind of my prediction on it. In the next 10 years, you'll see an increase in violent crimes, mass shootings, suicide, um, mental health issues, including depression, anxiety, and the list goes on. You'll see, an, right now, we, we are living in an uh, op- opioid epidemic mm-hmm. with the abuse of opiates. Last year, there were 70,000 people who died from the overdosing of drugs, including those um, which come from the opiate family. And there's a whole thing, a whole bunch of series of things that aren't changing that are setting us up for failure. One of those things is the over-prescription of uh, this, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, but the over-prescription of these pills that are leading to a lot of people to kill themselves. Now, the overwhelming majority of people who actually have taken their own lives, um, which is a lot of people, I think the statistic um, that I recently read was out of, uh, I believe, I don't want to get this wrong, but I want to say it was, it's around 60 to 70% of the overall total number of people who have uh, been killed with firearms, 60 to 70% of that were self-inflicted gunshot wounds. So I think the number is about uh, 30,000. Can you look that up, uh, George? Mm-hmm. I think the last statistic was from CDC. It was 2017. What, what, what am I typing in? Uh, suicide um, uh, with firearms. Uh, the overall number without firearms, including firearms, was 40,000-plus people 
killed themselves, but it was like 20-something thousand utilized a firearm uh, in order to uh, commit suicide. So you're going to see more of this because the mental health crisis is because of a lot of different things that are happening in our society. Go ahead, George. Uh, it says here, claiming the lives of nearly 22,000 Americans every year, including over 950 children and teens. So 22,000 people kill themselves yeah, firearm suicide with firearms. Public health crisis in the U.S. So it's like 20, 22,000, 23,000 um, utilized firearms to take their own lives. And I got this from every town. It's probably a, yeah, it's probably a CDC um, statistic. They keep good track of that. Um, but but the 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 issue is you're going to have a whole bunch of these tragic things taking place, and the reason that's going to happen is because of the, the part partially, but I think over the overwhelming majority of the reason that's going to happen is because of the displacement of people in the workplace um, being replaced by automated. Systems, protocols, technology. Um, for example, if you look at it right now, I mean, if you look at e-commerce, right? If you take a small any town in America, and I'm not talking about LA, I'm not talking about San Francisco, just take a normal town. Let's take Bozeman, Montana, which I think it has a, a population of sixty-five thousand. Brick and mortar um, has really been affected by e-commerce all over America, and the reason that is is because of companies like Amazon. Now, here's the problem. We believe in, we're, we're a capitalistic society. We believe in capitalism and the pursuit of, of, of happiness and wealth, um, self-reliance. When somebody goes and they start a business and it becomes a monopoly, that becomes an issue. Because what happens is, if, and this, is, this has been outlined by many experts, but let's just use Amazon, for example. No, actually, Facebook is the better example. Okay, so Facebook owns the, the, uh, the social media spectrum. They own it. There's more people on Facebook than there are the religion of Christianity. I mean, it's over two point, I think the last time I read it was 2.7 billion people are on Facebook. Okay, so basically a whole religion, right? Facebook. Now, what do they do when they are threatened by competitors who are trying to come up and compete with them? Because the, 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 one of the issues with monopolies is they're owning the industry and space, not allowing for competition, and they're crushing it. So you take Facebook, and what do they do? They buy out all their competition. Instagram's competitor. They go out and they buy Instagram. I think it was uh, in, in the dozens of billions of dollars they bought on Instagram. Now they own social media. The two biggest platforms on the planet are Facebook and Instagram. I think Facebook's number one, and Instagram's number two. And then you got Twitter and then, you know, so on and so forth. But now if you look at that industry space, right, now they own it and they're buying out all the competitors. Every time they buy a company and they automate the process or some of these companies that are mega companies like Amazon, they'll buy a company and then they'll just dissolve the company because they're getting rid of their competition. If you go into an Amazon shipping facility, it's all automated. You think they're going to hire uh, a town full of people to work packages? No, they'll they'll buy they'll invest in hundreds of millions of dollars in robots because the long term benefit is it's more efficient, more optimized, and they'll save more money over the long haul. Now, as a business strategy, do I think it's bad to automate certain processes? Absolutely not. I think it's 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 one of the things that's uh, going to happen as a progressive society that's in 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 uh, engulfed in technology. 
You know, we're, we are immersed in technology and there's no way to get around that. But what I'm saying is when you take an industry like the truck driver industry, 2 million truck drivers exist in the United States of America. If you talk to any truck drivers in America and you talk to their, uh, their reps, what is it called? Their, uh, um, the, what are the industry reps that uh, represent them? Their, uh, union rep? Union, union reps. Rep? If you talk to the union industry reps, they'll tell you it's fiction. It doesn't exist. It's not going to happen. Well, they are living in a, in a fake reality. They are living in a false reality. When you have experts that are not just experts, but they are, they are venture capitalists and influencers like Elon Musk saying it already exists. They have the technology in, in, in uh, um, Elon Musk's uh, company, Tesla. They are already building the technology. They already have automated processes for specific things that are taking place. So let's say, let's play devil, devil's advocate and just say it's a five to 10 year problem. Still, five to 10 years from now, you'll have a convergence of 2 million people in the workforce losing their jobs in a five to 10 year period, which is already happening, right? It's happened in the retail space with, with e-commerce. But go ahead. And look at like you go into Walmart, <laughs> like when it first started the, uh, the self-checkout, you know, you got like the self-checkout ten, the ten thing. You got ten on one side, ten on the other side, and you know, and it takes one person to man that. So you think about one hundred percent. Look at that. They're you know they're getting rid of cutting jobs and they're cutting saving jobs money already. On that, so. uh, absolutely, they've already cut jobs. And what I'm going to start doing is simulating the statistics of of how many jobs have been cut. But it's already happening happening in our society. But let's take the two million people. So you got two million truck drivers. They're displaced. They say on average, and I've read several statistics that have thrown this out, anywhere from 160-ish billion dollars all the way to $300 billion a year would be saved in the industry by automating uh, truck drivers. On top of that, thousands of lives who are lost to truck truck driving accidents would be saved. So when you look at the industry and then you look at the the justification, it actually, there's a lot of good justifications for automating that process, except when you don't consider the displacement of 2 million middle-aged, I think the average demographic was something like 40 to 54, which is pretty broad, uh, white American, veteran, typically a veteran uh, who's driving a truck. Are you going to convince those guys to step away from their rural lives and middle America, middle-class America? and get retrained in software development and IT and coding uh, and, and move to Silicon Valley, it's not going to happen. Mm. So what you're going to see is uh, you're going to see an influx of depression, anxiety, violent crime, desperation. Um, you're going to see mental, a mental health crisis uh, like we're seeing now, but just elevated. And then why that matters is because in the realm in the realm of preparedness, it should matter. Because if you're somebody who's like me, who wants to be self-reliant and who thinks about the inevitability of the future and where we're headed, um, you don't have to conspiracize. I mean, just look at the facts. It's already happening. Look at California. If you, my, my favorite new show, I, I talked to George about it, is called this, this, the show called Shot in the Dark. It was actually from 2017. But it takes these guys, what are they called? The Spinners? Uh, spinners, right? Yeah, they're spinners. They're guys who uh, subcontract to get uh, collect uh, video footage 
for news networks because it's subcontracted. So these guys are like the Uber um, uh, video capturers of uh, the media outlets that provide all the news uh, in, in L.A. And they, this takes place in L.A., but it, it's uh, across the United States. But what's interesting is they're capturing all the violent crime, all the accidents, and all this stuff. But it's, it's interesting to see because, look, if you've been to California, if you've been to New York, if you've been to Chicago, the, it, things don't feel like they're getting better. I remember I was born in Fort Ord, California, and I remember doing recruiting trips when I was in my teens for the Army, 18, 19 years old, and feeling safe in Central Valley. Now you go to Ceres, now you go to Modesto, now you go to Bakersfield, and, you, and, and that's just the rural Central Valley. You go to San Francisco and you go to L.A., dude, forget about it. It feels like a war zone. I feel like I'm in fucking Solder City. Oh, and we were driving to Ceres that one time in November and just driving down the highway, and there was like mattresses. Trash and shit. And those plastic, uh, those seats there were everywhere. I just, yeah, I don't get it. Like, a, clean a, your a, shit up. L.A., San Francisco, the, the major epicenters are getting worse with violent crime. And they justify their means, right, their governance with, uh, hey, we're, we're governing by protecting people, by limiting uh, gun rights, um, by harboring immigrants, all this different stuff that they think is setting their society up for success, and it's at the detriment of that populace. It's just, to me, who's been training in that area for years, law enforcement, who understands uh, not only governance and law enforcing uh, in those states, in those areas, it's, it's a dire situation, and it, and it feels that way when you're there. And when you know... All the back. I was just talking to a, a buddy of mine who used to be my squad leader in the infantry, and he has a an IT background. He actually does IT stuff for ICE, and he was telling me re he was affirming all, uh, all the things that we are talking about when it comes to border security. Look, if 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 you like when the Democrats fight over this border wall, and and they say they say, hey, this is a this is an issue that we're not willing to deal with. And we're not going to allow the president of the United States to issue a, 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 a emergency status um, or emergency crisis in order to fund this wall. Then, then you don't know what's going on um, behind the scenes. You don't understand what's really happening behind the scenes. And it doesn't take a lot of research to do that. In fact, the way we figured it out is we actually went to the border. We actually talked to men and women on the border. We actually talked to Border Patrol on the border and got all the facts. And if you want to listen to the facts, we have the Southern Border Adventure Run. We got a few podcasts with uh, some guys that, were, that spend their career on the border uh, taking in this information. It's a scary freaking situation. Um, I, I don't like, get, I like getting hype about it, right? Because getting hype about, uh, hype about it detracts from the facts. But if you just listen to the facts... That's then it will need. make. Yeah, that's all you need. It the makes you change your watching mind. Watching those videos really changed my mind. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, that podcast we did with Tim Foley was pretty impactful, man. If you want to hear some facts, and people still come out of the woodwork, they're like, "Oh, Tim Foley's a loony, a looney tune, man. He's 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 crazy." No, he's not. No, not one bit. He's like, actually really rational. Yeah. But the media has look. The media is very good at spinning whoever they want to detract from the fact into uh, into chaos. They want to make him look like he's crazy. Mm -hmm. But if you actually talk to him, he's not fucking crazy at all. He's actually 
a, a, a reasonable human being and he's squared away. And he's doing it like on his own. Like his setup is not like he's not living in a two story, 5,000 square foot house. My man got a trailer on a piece of land, like right near the border. He's not, he's a humble, he's a humble dude. He's, and you talk to him, he all he talks about is facts because he has all the information <laughs> to back it up. I mean, yeah. Well, everything he does, he backs up with, and, with facts. And he's not doing anything egregious. He's not doing anything violent. Nope. He has never, he's never shot anybody. He's, there's articles that I read from a German reporter that did a story on him that said he was killing people in the, bo- in the, in the desert. The only thing he, he's done is take facts and information and, and provided that information to law enforcement. Um, he has videos, he has waypoints, he has uh, patterns of life. And what do you have? You have all these uh, left-wing uh, people that come there with an agenda who are leaving food and water to facilitate who? They're facilitating, they don't even know who they're facilitating, right? No. So if I go to a, a group of, of left-wing activists and I say, hey, listen, the people that you're supporting with food and water happen to be smuggling children into this country or happen to be smuggling drugs into this country and hurting us. And then if you showed them the video, and then you showed them the evidence, what would they do? You know what they would probably do? They'd probably say, uh, we don't believe you. It's fake. It's fake. Yeah, that's that's not real. Because they want to make themselves feel good about themselves when they go home at night because they're social justice warriors. But they don't want to face the reality of our, of our current situation that thousands of people are coming across our borders, and they're doing so without following the law and we can't keep track of them. That's all I'm saying is like, why would you not start? If you're building a house and you want to protect your family, the first thing you do is you put doors on the house that you build and then you put a lock on it because that's going to keep the people that you don't want in your house out of your house. And so when we talk about a border wall, it's like, oh my God, it's a conspiracy. Like, why would you want to? No border wall, no border wall. It's like, why would you not want a fucking wall as the number one thing that you do. You have an open, porous border where anybody can get out. I want to remind everybody, one of the prime time terrorists that was part of 9-11 from Saudi Arabia came through Mexicali and California and came through our border from Mexico. I mean, one of the the 9-11 terrorists who flew a plane into the World Trade Center came across our border. Now, I, just, just think about that. If we're not regulating people who are just coming across and we keep, can't keep tabs on them, then what are we doing? So, And then you look at the statistics, right? When the Border Patrol is over-saturated, uh, they can't even handle what they have, the workload they have. So if they look in one direction and then 25,000 people in one weekend, which has happened, come across one area, the area that they're not looking at might have the same amount of people flowing across the border. And then you have states like California who are, who are suing the president of the United States for creating a, bo- a border wall protocol, right? Who are creating a safe haven for any immigrant. If you go to Central Valley, look, I, I have no, I, I am, I come from an immigrant. I come from a, an immigrant, immigrated family. My mom, her six sisters have all immigrated legally to this country. My grandma, who barely speaks any English, took the test to get her citizenship in this country. So I don't want, you can't accuse me 
of, of being uh, against migration or immigrants because I know, I know the importance of that. But I also under the import, know the importance of doing it the legal right way. If you go to Central Valley in, in California, it is like Mexico. I mean, literally, it is literally like Mexico. Now, it's been that way a long time. And you drive by the agricultural fields and, you, and, and you'll say to yourself, in a closed conversation in your own car, you're like, damn, would Americans pick up um, the tools and go into these fields and, 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 uh, and serve these crops? Fuck no. No, they wouldn't do it. We're too good to do that, apparently. But nobody wants to say that's the reason why we want these lax laws for agriculture or for our states or for our governance. That's why. Because we don't want to do the damn labor. All the homeless people under the bridge in Modesto, California, aren't going to take their happy ass down the road and pick corn or pick wheat out of a field. But you know who will? Those thousands of immigrants from Mexico who are busting their ass, bringing that dollar home that's worth 100 times more back to their country and their family. And, and that's a dire situation. But one of the solutions to that situation is not just allowing everybody to flow through that porous border and saying, fuck it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to manage it. Let's just do what we do and do nothing and then provide the safe haven. I mean, the horror stories of people being murdered of people getting hit by drunk, uh, 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 illegal um, people who are in our country and then not being able to manage it or deal with it because law enforcement can't even, doesn't even understand how to deal with it. So you got a federal, federal laws and you got state laws and then you got local sheriffs not enacting or enforcing the laws. It's a fucking mess in California. And that's just one state. Oh, man. It feels good to vent a little mm, bit. I, I'm sick, man. So I got that. I got that. Uh, that those. Uh, what is it called? Ephedrine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ephedrine. That pseudofed in me. That pseudofed in me. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, back to the AI stuff a little bit. It's just the 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 vacuum and the void is going to be there. We saw the same thing when me and George, Kurt, all these guys that I served with were doing counterterrorism operations overseas without understanding the big picture. When me and uh, George were in Libya. We knew it. I was like, oh, you killed Gaddafi. We, we removed Gaddafi. That's a big fucking mistake. Just like Saddam Hussein. Yep. Big mistake. Because the, the difference between um, Gaddafi and somebody else is Gaddafi knew how to put the smack down on the population to keep it controlled. A lot of people don't, don't, uh, never realize it, but me and George heard firsthand accounts where Gaddafi would send entire tank battalions to go smash Al-Qaeda in the middle of Benghazi when he found out where they were. Mm -hmm. And you know what his policy with Al-Qaeda was? He would surround buildings with tanks and level it and kill everybody in the building because if they, were, if they weren't terrorists, they were affiliated because he understood extremism. And I'm not a, I'm not a proponent for, for Gaddafi, but I know exactly what it did when we removed him. You created a power vacuum. And now nobody, nobody knows what the fuck's going on. You got the Zentans, you got uh, different factions, tripulations, you have people from Benghazi, from CERT, and everybody's, everybody's combating each other and fighting against each other. And guess what? Guess who rises to the top? The biggest scumbags who have been sitting at the bottom of the barrel. So what's going to happen when in that same kind of uh, uh, structure you remove these people's livelihoods and they have nothing left to live for. They can't support their families. They have no fucking jobs. They're, they're too proud to be on welfare. What are they going to do? It's not going to be pretty. 
it's the same it's the same correlation that I make with the amount of veterans who are going to come out of war over the next decade who have been fighting wars for two decades and you know you take you take a finance clerk and a regular army unit yeah he's been to war two three times in a 20 year span but I'm not talking about those guys I'm talking about the special operations commands the guys who belong to special missions units who are at the tip of the spear and ranger regiment MARSOC, combat controllers and PJs, SEAL teams. Those are the guys that I'm talking about who have been fighting for decades, Constantly. who go to war two, two, three rotations a year, who have no down cycle, and then they get out. You think you have a, an epidemic of, uh, of mental health issues in our veteran affairs system now? You just fucking wait. Uh, and, I, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, especially speaking on behalf of my own regiment and community, but it's not going to be fucking good. And, and, and uh, people who I've communicated to who say, you know, they're not, they're, they're not uh, susceptible to PTS or to, to trauma. It's not even about that because I'm not talking about individual specific incidents of trauma. But when you serve 20 years in Special Operations Command, it's not about specific trauma. You know how to manage the trauma. It's about the, the institutional habits you've been building for that long. It's the, your, your lack of tolerance for bullshit. It's the, you're, you're used to operating a specific way. And you're not prepared to deal with the, uh, the breakdown of family units, of camaraderie, of community of tribal uh, units and organizations in the civilian world because it doesn't exist. And so that's the, that's the problems that you're going to see with TBI, traumatic brain injury. I was listening to a, a podcast this morning on CTE. You know, we'll spend hundreds of millions of dollars to analyze professional football players and the trauma that they, that they volunteer for knocking heads together, getting paid hundreds, if not millions of dollars but we won't flip the coin to do CT analysis on our troops who are being blown the fuck up. And the problem is the misconception. The problem is the miseducation. We go, oh, it's soldiers just, they aren't exposed like that. They get in one ID, you know, that's, that's trauma. Not, again, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about the guys in my community and George's community who, dude, my job for two years was a breacher. Every combat mission I did for two rotations to Iraq, out of my five rotations, I did every single breach. And that year, we breached every wall, every door. And so I'm eating a charge every single time we go out every night. And then flashbangs times six per target, per day, getting my head wrung, snot bubbles coming out of my nose. And so when you look at tra uh, traumatic brain injury and you look at post-traumatic stress and then what it's going to do long-term to all these guys coming out over the next decade who have twice more combat than me and George combined, you're looking at a, a, a serious fucking issue. Um, and we're not prepared for it. We're not even prepared for it. I mean, the non I can't even get VA to pick up the fucking phone. I mean, I can't get Veteran Affairs, which is a good... A VA clinic here in town. I can't get them to pick up the phone in some instances. Um, yeah, man, it's gonna. It's scary, man. It's fucking scary.
Sorry, I just I went off on like a twenty minute. It's okay. It's and it's this kill cliff, man. We have I'm this platform. It's this kill cliff, man. It's just the recovery one. Oh shit! I, I drank the recovery one. Yeah, I shouldn't have did that. That was like breast breaking keto. Um, so <laughs> I digress. CBD, man. What's your what's your overall take on CBD? Uh, I think CBD is beneficial for the fact that you know it's get get off those pills. Stop, you know, with the opiates, the Vicodins, the Percocets, you know, try something an alternative, something that's natural, something that's, you know, yeah, that's safe. You're not going to overdose on it. Um, I, I believe in it just for, just for the fact that I'm, I've had firsthand knowledge of people who have well, been when, on When you went to and, VA and they, and they give you all your prognosis, did they try to throw the pills at you? Oh yeah, I mean I get them. Oh, yeah. I, st- I still get them. Yeah, you get them in the mail. Yeah, I get them. Well, I haven't signed up for the mail thing yet, but every time I go to the doctor, it's here you go, here you go. So it's like yeah. I'm trying to get off those pills and just get well, more of a natural. Well, let's be honest about the VA system. They're the VA is not taking the top tier doctors in the healthcare system. They're not recruiting the best and brightest. No, and it's like you get your pills in the mail every month. Yeah. Once you sign up for the express scripts, well, I think. Yeah. You. So when I first got out of the military and went to uh, the VA system, and I'm 90% rated right now, went to the VA system, and they don't even understand, number one, they don't understand TBI and PTS. They don't understand the the intertwining of anything because they don't they're, they don't have the systems in place to even manage it, right? They, they, we don't even know. It, it would take a nonprofit to come out of the woodwork to help anybody who's a veteran to deal with any TBI issues because VA has no fucking clue. So I go in, out and I'm like, hey, man, I'm having these issues. They, it, they give me trazodone, right, mm. for sleep, it, which is a psych med. That's, I just talked to a psychologist. It's typically not used for psychological issues. It's actually used for sleep. But if you want to feel like a zombie for the rest of your life and have no oh, empathy yeah. and just feel like a robot, Take trazodone. I've been on the trazodone before, and it's it, it knocks me out. But I wake up, and it's like it's like Benadryl. Uh, oh yeah, that. you can't even speak. It's terrible. You're incoherent. You have no your cognitive function is real uh, really debilitated, and um and then Ambien. Oh, don't even get started. Dude, with Ambien. I'm on like we were in Libya together taking Ambien. You did some weird you shit. Another level. We we had some weird times. I remember one time. I mean, I was this is a stateside, but I'm home and. I wake up in the morning and I got my uh, like my side table drawer open. I got my Glock is on the on the nightstand and it, I have no idea out of the holster. So it, it's just one of those things. It's like no. Once that happened, I stopped. I just went to the doctor. And I was like, I need something different. I can't. Yeah. Do this. I when I started taking Ambien, dude. Look, I, and I, I'm pretty open and honest about behavioral health and mental health as it relates to my situation. I've had some bad. I, I feel. I, I've had some bad um, situations that have taken place with being depressed, taking Ambien, hitting the bottle a little bit, and I'm not even a big boozer. But you take one glass of whiskey with Ambien, game changer. Um, I mean, they 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 they've actually taken people who are comatose, like literally in a coma, given them Ambien, and they've woken up from comatose statuses. And and literally, seen on scanners, it re-energize uh, new parts of the brain that they haven't seen it do before. And the weirdest thing is all the studies that have come out about Ambien. It, it doesn't help you sleep long term. 
In fact, it's, it's actually really bad for you long-term if you're using it for sleep because it doesn't put you in a, in a good deep REM cycle. And so it, it, it's overly prescribed, and then people do dumb shit. Inclu- I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've seen dudes abuse it downrange. I've seen dudes abuse it after the military, and it's not, but VA uh, prescribes it like candy. Let me, let me give you, look, there's a lot of facts about CBD, and I'm glad. Who's the CEO of Uncana? Uh, the guy's name is Kobe. Let me get his last name here. So Kobe was a ranger, right? And, yeah, uh, he was in first ranger battalion. He was in first bat, and he owns a company called Uncana. Kobe Cochran. Kobe Cochran. And you, Uncana, look, I, I've been going, look, I always look for alternative, um, preventative measures in medicine, holistic, um, what we call functional medicine, in order to help and uh, you know, at least advocate for help for people. Because I'm into meditation. I'm into yoga. I'm into alternative um, considerations outside of popping pills and, and, and uh, combating these, these issues. Um, so one, I want to educate people. One, CBD is not illegal in the United States. One thing is you can't, you can't fly with CBD, which is kind of weird. But it's not psychoactive. It's not weed. There's no THC, which is a psychoactive element, um, and, and it, CBD and TH levels tend to vary among different plants. So you could have marijuana grown for recreational purposes. It contains THC, more THC than CBD, but CBD strains are also available. And so they extract the CBD. You know, CBD, it says it has over 113 compounds found in cannabis that belong to a class of molecules called Cannibal, uh, cannabinoids, which are, are natural to the human body. And so like, unlike THC, CBD does not cause a high. And so there's no psychoactive princi- uh, 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 effects on the human body. It has a ri- wide range of medical benefits that's being studied. I mean, this is something that's being studied, but some of them are suppressing seizures, com- combats psychosis and, and uh, similar disorders, combats infl- uh, inflammation, uh, neurodegenerative disorders, tumors and cancer cells, anxieties, depression, pain and pain-related disorders, and it's all natural. Um, CBD can work together with other compounds, and they, and they often work together well. Um, CBD reduces the negative effects of THC as well. Some strains of marijuana are rich in CBD. There are many different CBD products available. Um, also... Um, I had a cat that passed away recently, uh, old Whitey. Um, oh, he lived to be 17 years old. Whitey. I gave him CBD for pets, and it seemed to put him in a more comfortable state when he passed away. We laid him down in the sun, uh, and he simply went to sleep, and he never woke up, and it was the most peaceful uh, way to go out as a 17-year-old cat who lived a great life. Um, CBD can affect your sleep-wake uh, cycle. It has a, what's called a biphasic of, uh, effect on sleep, meaning it has different effects depending on dosage. But small doses appear to have uh, to increase wakefulness, and large doses are set, uh, sedative, sedative. <coughs> acting like a sedative. Uh, large, large doses over 160 milligrams have been linked to more times spent sleeping. And also, again, I want to reemphasize this. CBD is still... Um, illegal, oh, it's still illegal. It remains illegal in many parts of the world, but it's classified as a Schedule One drug in the U.S. and a Schedule Two. This is old because CBD is legal is legal right now, yeah. right? 
across the U.S. Actually, can you look that up? I don't want to put out wrong information. Um, and I don't know if um, there's, there's anybody. Uh, we got somebody on the IG saying CBD is illegal in Tarrant County. A 19-year-old told a police officer he had some after being pulled over, and now they're trying to charge him with a felony controlled substance. It was non-THC. That's scary, man. That's scary. I, I'm on the bandwagon of all these petty-ass crimes with dudes with dime bags and you know marijuana. It's like, dude, it's bogging our system down. I know. Like, I'll you know, I watch you know live PD and you know all these like you know cop shows and like they pull somebody over and they find like a little bag of weed on them. I'm like, come on, man! Like, hey, come on, let it just go find something else. They're like, like jackpot. Yeah. What? You know, Ooh, you found some weed. We, <laughs> we teach law enforcement in many different parts of the country. And from what I've seen, from, for the most part, most law enforcement officers give two shits about marijuana. Yeah, but, I mean, it's there. I mean, it, it, you know, they have to, pro, you know, they yeah, find it. they have to deal with it, it, obviously. My thing is, if you are if you got weed in your core, hide it better. I mean, do something. I mean, shit. Yeah, keister it, man. Yeah. If you got a pound of weed, you know where it goes, where you know where it needs to go. It says here, uh, this I'm on uh, hemppure.com, and it says here that the uh, CBD is legal in all uh, 50 states. So CBD is legal in all 50 states, but there's some places, according to this, where people are saying, hey, they're trying to make it uh, uh, illegal. But it's not places. legal federally. federally. Federal? Oh, federally. Federally, yeah. federally, it's illegal. Yeah. Which just means, I mean, nobody's going to roll you up for having CBD oil. Yeah. But we need to start. It's still classified as a Schedule One drug in the U.S. It's insane. Come on, man. It's just insane. So we, yeah, like we can do better. Come yeah, on. we. But we can give vets Ambien who suffer uh, from traumatic mental oxy, health issues, oxycotton, Percocets. You know. That's okay, but CBD is illegal. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. But we do have a. We will have a Kobe on the podcast on Thursday. Kind of to, you know, talk about his company and then like the way ahead for, you know, CBD, uh, I guess, laws and getting stuff uh, legalized. So it's mm-hmm. not much, you know, but he did send us some of uh, the products. We got a full spectrum CBD salve, uh, <coughs> which I've been using on my elbow. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's I've just started using it today. So, I mean, I really can't say, oh, it cured me. But I mean, I think over time, I mean, it's probably going to help reduce that pain. Uh, we got the. CBD soft gels, uh, zero THC. We got the CBD oil, and we got the CBD isolate powder. So he did hook us up with some uh, products, and we'll be dis- and we'll be talking those on our Instagram on hi- story highlights and posts. So stay tuned for that, and then uh, we'll have that podcast on Thursday. So you'll kind of get kind of the education of. CBD and the way ahead of his, for his company and I guess his the way he came to about for his um I guess just the way he you know his life story I guess so stay tuned for that that's Thursday and we'll probably drop it either Friday or, or Monday so I got a couple asked asked a couple tactical questions and I want to kind of address those um I've talked about it before but when some guy asked me about a um, um the light situation why carry a light separate and my my big thing is I, I don't like having a gun adhere or a light adhered to my gun because it limits uh, the overall utility of a light. I mean, let's say, for example, you need to work on your car in the middle of the night and you have a light and it's on your gun. Well, 
you're not going to pull your gun and use your light. I mean, you can, but it's just that it's just silly. And then you're going to take it off, put it back on. Like, exactly. Like, so, you know, it, it, my whole thing, I, I base it off a couple things. One is if your pattern in life dictates that you're working a lot in and around um, your environment at nighttime, let's say you, have, you work a night shift. Well, it'd be smart to run a light on your gun because the, the probability increases because of your, your, your uh, pattern of life, because of your routine. But if you're like me, who likes to be in bed by 10 because I'm old, um, I have a nightstand gun that has a light on it, and that, that's going to remain on it. But that's my home defense gun. My everyday carry doesn't have that, but I will have a flashlight. I typically carry a, a Vampire 1, like a V1 from Surefire, and I'll carry that in my truck. So when it gets dark, like I don't like to stick it in my pocket for everyday carry use in the middle of the daylight. But I will have that in my truck. So when it gets nighttime, I'm either, I'm that weird guy, man. I, always, I'm, I, I follow uh, old routines and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a stickler for that. I'll take a headlamp and stick it around my neck because I'm used to, as a as a part of my routine, sticking a headlamp around my neck at nighttime. Hey, that headlamp, that's you had to have that headlamp any, anywhere. I mean, had to. That's that was probably the best tool I had sometimes. That headlamp. Oh yeah, for hygiene, for yeah. getting around, just for utility stuff. Yep. And so for defense, also, there's a lot of advantage of sweeping your light with your support hand, and not having it adhered to your gun. I mean, if you're a bad guy and you're looking into light. If you're hiding in dark and looking into light, maybe a threshold of a door, and you want to kill the bad guy or the good guy, depending on your perspective, that's coming through that door, you're looking for the lights. And you see a light come on on somebody's gun, you're shooting at that light. Mm-hmm. And if you're holding a gun properly, you know, center mass of your body presenting it to the threat, that's a high probability that you're going to get shot. So it's just giving an oriented uh, you know, element that doesn't need to be there. Um, when you could separate the two, that's that's just my take on it. Um, also, hey, did you do, you do you have any lights on any of your guns? I don't. I, I you know, I've wanted to get one that like a Surefire for my Glock uh, Glock Seventeen, but I just I don't know. I just to me, I, I don't. I'm not gonna. Is I don't need it for me. I don't. You know, it's just something else I have to worry about changing the batteries out and putting on there, and you know, getting another getting a new holster. So I, I don't run a light. I have a separate light, like a little. I have the uh, same uh, Surefire, the the V1. So okay, that's not bad. Um, Go rig challenge. Let's talk about it a little bit. I will have a podcast that will flush out kind of the Go rig challenge uh, part one. Which, if you're just tuning in, PhilCraftMobility.com, um, PhilCraftHQ at PhilCraftHQ is our PhilCraft Mobility Facebook. I started to post the videos from IGTV and post them on that Facebook channel for people to tune in to see the series of videos that we did for the Go Rig Challenge. And one thing that stood out to me on that is, you know, and looking back at the videos and the post, and it's not, it's something you, you can't do it overnight. I mean, you have to plan this out. You have to, you know, have the right equipment or just the layout alone, just to show you how much equipment it is. And then, and then the rules to follow for the go rig challenge. I mean, that was very like in depth. I mean, look at like behind the scenes on like what it takes to plan these, these trips out and these activities we do here. I mean, here at Fieldcraft, I mean, we only have, it's me, Mike, John and Steve. That's it. So, 
you know, these things have to be methodically planned out so that, you know, we're, we're providing that content to people who have these questions about, Hey, what if this, and what if that? So it takes that, that time, just the, just the time it took just to build the rig out alone was probably almost two weeks. Yeah, so, weeks. I mean, it was, you know, it was in depth and, you know, and then going on the trip itself, I mean, Mike was, you know, on the road driving and that, that takes a lot of time out of everything. And just, a you know, that experience itself, I mean, it, a lot of stuff we that Mike flushed out. So that will be on that, that podcast, but it was a lot of just planning and just, it, it was, was a lot, lot of work, lot. man. Yeah, The guys did a good job. It was, it, oh, I, think, yeah. I think overall it was like 54 hours of actual yeah. driving. <sighs> In a week, 54 hours. So it's 12, 24, 36, 48. So I literally was driving 12-plus hours every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole reason for the GoBrick Challenge is to assess, hey, what is your capability? What, what's your actual capability? And what are, the, what are the equipment considerations for considering an actual bug-out vehicle? A lot of people talk about these sexy bug-out vehicles. And you look at it and, you, you know, you look at them in magazines. You see them on blogs and on IG, and you're like, Oh, that's really cool looking, but does it have the actual capability? And one of the things that um, we flushed out was like fuel, the fuel consideration. Like if you don't have the fuel or the ability to retain yeah, fuel for sexy boxes and tents and yeah, ain't gonna get you nowhere. You're gonna be sleeping on that that truck. A hundred percent. And so, uh, what's interesting is you know we're already and gearing up for the Go Rig Challenge Part Two, and. So I'm doing the motorcycle thing, and I haven't decided. Like, there's two courses of action here. One is uh, a KLR650 budget build. So taking a specific budget, utilizing different resources to kit it out and build out a vehicle on a budget that is able to make overland movement um, in a bug-out situation. Two, no budget considered. You know, go the Africa twin route kit it out, and then and then go balls to the wall. Both of these instances, we're going to utilize the platform uh, at, to, to utilize our um, research and development and testing, and testing and evaluation for our new equipment that's going to be on those rigs because we're doing panniers, we're doing med kits, we're doing survival bags, we're doing a, a whole bunch of cool gear that's going on bikes that we will highlight – uh, after the Go Reach Challenge 2 at Overland Expo West. I can't fucking wait. Oh, it's going to be great. We have a big-ass booth mm, right in That Prime like Plus, son. Prime Plus. <laughs> it was a 60 by 40 booth. You know, I, I can't wait. That's going to be exciting. It's going to be my first one, and, yeah, we're going to have a good time. So if if you're interested in doing this, look, I, I don't want to beg people to come out and see us. You know, I don't want to beg. But if I had to beg one time a year for people to come out and do something that's epic and get education, it's come to Overland Expo West. Uh, Overland Expo West, what are the dates for that? You pulling that up? Yep. So Overland Expo West is a Overland um, uh, it's expo, you could, seminar slash expo, where they hi- everybody highlights, 300 vendors highlight their gear, their equipment, their training, um, you know, Overland Journal will be out there. And then you'll have a whole bunch of trainers, including us, that will be teaching classes on first aid, on recovery, on how to drive off-road, on overlanding, all this cool, epic stuff. And we'll have a booth, booth P, that's Papa, 
four eight. Papa, is it four eight or three eight? <laughs> I might have messed that. Four, I, I think it was, was four eight. You sure? I think so. I think you said four eight yesterday. No, I need to re. I need to re. But the dates for Overland Expo West is May seventeenth through the nineteenth, and that's at Flagstaff, Arizona, and it's got Fort Tuthill County Park. So if you go to www.overlandexpo.com slash west, you'll get all your information you need there. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm still pulling it up. Um, man, I got a crap ton of emails today. Holy hell. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, it's P something. I'll put that out. But anyways, we have a primetime booth, and we're going to be highlighting the Go Rig Challenge 2 uh, vehicle, and we're debating on which vehicle we're going to highlight uh, which platform we're going to highlight uh, actually out there. And it's going to either be the Runner or the Taco. I might even kit out that Rover, man, that Land Rover. Oh, yeah, that would be, be cool. cool. Yeah, we that need to get cool. that. We need to. We just haven't had time, man. I mean, I want to get up in, you know, I've, I'm still waiting on my rest. Of, I got one part for my suspension to put on to get in here. And, that uh, old emo uh, kit on deal, your Land Dealing with these idiots from uh, Amazon. Getting trying to get my stuff here, but it's been like a month. You know, we got my Land Rover, my Land Cruiser. We got the Land Rover or the uh, what is it, the Land Rover, the Forerunner. Yeah, the Forerunner. We got the Tacoma. We got the Jeep the out back, the van. We just haven't had any time. You know, it's so. time to get make some time. But it's time to make. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, look, we, I I did. People asked me recently. They're like, "Hey, why did you do Philcraft Mobility?" Well, look, Facebook and Instagram. Shut. We we do social media marketing. Right, because you know we don't have a big budget to pay on to market elsewhere, and so I want to make sure that people understand we did Philcraft Mobility to keep a dirty side and a clean side, and the dirty side has knives and guns, and we don't give a shit. The clean side doesn't have that; it has survival, mobility, overlanding, you know, first aid equipment, and that allows us to operate in the space without being compromised potentially and being shut down, which we already have. I mean, we're, we have almost 20,000 followers on Facebook, on Philcraft Survival's Facebook page, and we can't do a dollar ad for anything on our page because they consider us a business that they don't want to do business with because we're scary, because we sold a knife um, on, our, on, our, on our website. And so, yeah, we're not supported um, by Instagram and Facebook, even though we're verified on Facebook's channel. Um, what I am doing is I'm migrating a lot of my personal stuff to Twitter, uh, just an older demographic, and I'm getting old, and so, um, yeah. We are Papa48. I'm on the site now. If you go onto the the site and you scroll oh, down, you it, up. it shows you all the vendors, oh, yeah. it shows you everything, and it shows you where on the map they're going to be located. So we're going to be in a circle, basically, near the social area, Ramada. So we'll be like right there on this outside circle, Papa48, Fieldcraft Survival. Oh, I like that. I, hey, let me give a big shout-out. Um a uh, buddy of mine, Foster Huntington. If you go to Foster Hunting, it's at Foster Hunting. It's not like he needs to support. He's got a million followers. Uh, but he sent me a couple books, man. And I'm big. One, I'm big into overlanding, um, and the community, the uh, the culture. Uh, Scott from Overland Journals, good buddy. And I'm big into it, man. I love it. And Foster Hunting uh, Huntington lives in PNW, uh, Pacific Northwest, and he makes uh, these cabins that he builds up in the trees and he's done a whole bunch of them, but he's, he sent me a couple books and I love these books, man. These are my, my two favorite books. One's called the cinder cone 
and the center cone has a breakdown of it's it, they're really cool because it's not a lot of words and a whole bunch of pictures which I'm into. <coughs> and he's got another one called Home is where you park it foster hunting in and it's all about um different vehicles and platforms people are living out of. Look, I, there's something fascinating to me, man, and the military in my military career I overlanded all over the world and had the opportunity to do a lot of cool stuff and was fascinated by these different cultures. And when you're a visitor to these cultures, and it could be in war, right? I mean, <laughs> I was in Afghanistan and I'm, I'm overlanding for weeks at a time in a Land Rover. That, that kind of life and that nomadic like uh, uh, lifestyle and culture and being able to do it in a free society with no threat of terrorism outside of war is something that is so attractive to me and I love and I'm so passionate about. And so overlanding is very important to me. The conservation of our land, of our national parks, of the culture, of the community, it's something that I find uh, very special, uh, especially in a, in a more toxic society that uh, just has a whole bunch of garbage um, being tossed around. I find it as a peaceful place. And when I look at these books, The Center Cone and then uh, Home is Where You Park It, uh, check out Foster Huntington, man. It's a it's a cool book. And I've noticed that too. I mean, I just started when started out the company in, in October and just seeing like the people you meet on these overland trips or the companies that you kind of like network with. I mean, I, we the, everyone was so, or they're so nice. You know what I mean? You can talk to them. They're they're approachable. They share their experiences. They they share their tips. That they, whatever however their rig is built, they show you everything. I mean, they take you whole through the whole rig and like, hey, I got this, I got that. Hey, you know, and they give you tips and everything like that. So I mean, I've not met one asshole since I started. You know, in October, everyone's been really nice and just. Even we met that couple uh, when we were at Joshua Tree. They were from uh, what, Germany. Yep, it's Defender. Their website is Defender. The number two and travel. Yeah, they were great people. I mean, they awesome people. And we just hit them up in the parking lot. We were like, "Oh, look at that! That's cool." They're in South America right now yeah. with that rover. Yeah, they sent us uh, updates on our to the email. And yeah, we post them up. We have some on, some updates. Uh, that video interview with Travis Hess um, is up on the interwebs. And uh, yeah, man, you're right, man. Everybody's so positive. It's like, how can you be negative when you're out and yeah. seeing all these like sites? So, well, uh, and the thing is, you, you could be negative, but you won't last long. Like no. everybody will just isolate you and just nobody will care. It's like nobody has time for that in that mm -hmm. space because a lot of it is about traveling to get away. And, you know, we all live this hustle and bustle and sometimes we just got to get away. <coughs> There's a song about that. <coughs> okay. We got, <laughs> we got Mike losing his lung over here. But. Sorry, man. But even the, like even we were out in the middle we were out in the middle of nowhere it seemed like in in Joshua Tree well we even left the you know we drove around Joshua Tree then we left the reservation and we were out in like more like public land and there were still people out there just onesies and twosies just you know you drive by a big old hand wave and you know you just kept on going you know everyone mind their own business and what's impactful about that is when you're looking about um, when you're looking at kind of building you know we talk about this mindset thing. And you're looking at kind of improving your overall health and well-being, especially mindfulness, which is kind of hard to find nowadays mm -hmm. uh, because you have to actually practice it. It's just not going to come on its own. And so um, when we even look about the small experiences we had in overlanding together, they're impactful. Mm -hmm. um, man, I love those experiences. And I, and I want to do more of those because every single one of them is uh, impactful 
uh, time in my life that's kind of given me this perspective. Um, and, and I've been more mindful and more present in those moments. And it feels good to get away, decompress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I call it defraggle the mind. You, you have to defraggle the mind and get away. You know, I can't wait till the weather. I mean, weather starts warming up and then I get all everything, you know, get my rig together finally, get things going and just taking a trip with, you know, Sarah and take little Logan out, you know, just so yeah, they can experience that. It'd be great. So it's gonna be exciting. I'm looking forward to it too. So May, uh, we'll definitely see you guys in May in the Overland Expo West and looking forward to that. So all of our channels, just to remind you guys, because I know a lot of people who listen to podcasts aren't tuned into social media because uh, some people just aren't social media people. But if you are on Instagram, we have a few accounts. Uh, George's is at George underscore Team Philcraft. Mine's at Mike.a.glover. We also had Phil, Philcraft Survival, Philcraft Survival Fit, Philcraft Mobility, um, and then all of our uh, brand ambassadors yeah. who affiliated. Philcraft Iran. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and if you really want to follow us, we actually have Philcraft underscore Iran. Which, I think they changed their name. Their, their name was changed. Oh, did it? Yeah. What's interesting about it is they had like over a thousand followers yeah. and zero post. Yeah. Weird. I'm like, so you're Philcraft in Iran. <laughs> huh. We might have had a defector employee run yeah. off to uh, Iran and uh, start up his own gig. Um, but also we got Facebook. Uh, like I said, we have Philcraft Survival, which is the um, the main page. But we also have uh, Philcraft Mobility uh, on Facebook. We also have Philcraft Tweet. We're on Twitter. We have YouTube, the Philcraft Survival Channel on YouTube, which is growing pretty well. Yep. Uh, we have the podcast. We have two podcasts. We have the Philcraft Survival Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we also have the Modern Mindset 365 Podcast, which has to do with a lot with mindset. And speaking of mindset, uh, I'll be finishing up my book in May on mindset. And then everybody, thank you very much if you donated to my GoFundMe to fund this book. It's it's an expensive uh, people. Some dude texts me. He's like, "Bro, you got a big souped up truck. You could afford to do that, but you can't afford a book." I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, come on, man." I'm like, "Well, number one, that's I mean, that's a I guess a good reasonable um, question, but respond the response is." When you, when you self-publish a book, you have to pay for all the uh, things in advance in order for that book, book to publish, and there's no margin for profit. So you know, when it comes to editing, for example, that costs thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the graphic design, again, thousands of dollars. And then the printing and publishing, thousands of dollars. I think my first quote was 30K uh, when I a- actually looked into it. Damn. And here's my thing. Look, I mean, I get it. You know, you don't have to give money to the GoFundMe. I mean, you know, Mike's doing it for a good cause, and you know, getting getting it out there. So, you know, to Easter run, I mean, you can people can ask whatever they want and stuff like that. And but you don't have to give, so don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, and and, and a lot of people like Shree, thank you, Heather, thank you, and all the people who donated, thank you. We raised an excess of 10k for that book. Um, what I'll be doing is everybody who, who donated over a hundred dollars, I'll be sending uh, an autograph copy, which just sounds so egotistical. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't even want to say that. It sounds <laughs> weird, uh, but I'll be sending you guys a personalized copy. Also, the, the, anybody who donated, even if you did, I had a guy donate a dollar. It's like, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you guys will be receiving a PDF copy of that, and then uh, the book is on mindset. It's on building resiliency, and then it's on all the experiences I had that shaped my mind. Um, in the realm of mindset, because I think it's something that if, if you're not born with it, which I think some people are, 
uh, through their childhood experiences, which add to their capabilities. If you're not born with it, it's something that you could learn. And it's something that you could benefit from in understanding people's experiences and shaping their own minds. So I hope you guys are looking forward to that. That's uh, going to drop uh, by Independence Day, July 4th of this year. Um, also, if you're listening to this podcast, there's no sponsors on this podcast because we're not getting paid. Um, but if you're listening to this podcast and you actually like what you hear and you've, you've listened this long, we're a, uh, an hour and some change into it, you can donate on Venmo or uh, our PayPal. Our Venmo is at Fieldcraft. Do we have a PayPal? No, we don't have a PayPal. Oh, never mind. You, you can't use PayPal. Yeah, we're banned. In trouble for that. Yeah, we're banned. Um, but you can donate on uh, Venmo, which is easy to set up because it's owned by PayPal, at Fieldcraft. And any bit any any bit helps. Maybe if we uh, get enough money, we'll be able to upgrade this equipment. Yeah, and soundproof our room. I know, and, and actually soundproof the room. That'd be cool. Actually, turning this thing into an actual studio would be cool yeah. instead of just faking it and calling it a studio. Like Jim Miller's gonna be like, I'm coming to the studio, man. Yeah. And you come in, you're like, it's like a that's thrift store. It's, yeah, it looks like room a set. looks like a flea market. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we appreciate all you guys' support because this is uh is um 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 what is it called sponsor free? Yeah, commercial free. You know, and what we're trying to do this year for our podcast is you know we do I love doing the shoot the shit podcast because we get to just ramble on. You guys get to listen to us for an hour or so, but. Our uh, you know thing this year is trying to get some some guests. So I think we've had you know we Ooh. had Phil Heath in the, the past. We yep. got we got Jim Miller coming up. We have uh, uh, on Monday. Oh my God, his name slipped my mind. Jim Shockey. Jim Shockey's going to be on the podcast yeah. Monday. So you know we're trying to step our game up with a guest and we're actually flying we, guest in now. Yeah, and pulling some sponsorships that way. So you know, so we'll see what happens. Stay tuned, you know. I'm always reaching out to people. So if, if you're cool and you have an interesting story, you know, send me a uh, email to info at fieldcraft.com and uh, fieldcraftsurvival.com. And we'd just love to get you on the podcast. So so the last highlight is just I want to talk about real quick this uh, this visor, uh, this modular visor panel. I think George named it. MVP. M- MVP. <laughs> so, look, the whole entire concept is – is not this you know outlying innovative concept, but what we want to do is is introduce some functionality that increases your capabilities, especially when it comes to first aid. Look, if you have a med kit and it's in the back of your truck, probably not a good spot for it. You need to have your med kit either on our panel pack on the back of a seat in arm's reach or in front of you. What I like to think is, hey, if you're an individual, you have an individual IFAC, an individual um, field med, med kit that you have on your person, meaning that you carry on you or on a bag or something like that. Well, if you have the visor kit, our, our visor kit allows you to attach a bleeder pack and a tourniquet in arm's reach right in front of you attached to your visor. You can also take that same visor and attach the, the modular components to it to the back of your headrest. You could even remove the BHRK bleeder pack kit and take that actual pouch and put it on the back of your uh, panel pack. And so we want the modularity, but I want you to be able to reach out anywhere in that vehicle where you're sitting from and reach your kit, reach your tourniquet in order to save your life. Because the the obvious um, observation is if you're in a car accident, you're going to experience trauma. And so if you've experienced trauma, you might not have the legs to get to the back of your vehicle in order to get that uh, med kit to save your own life yeah. or your family's or life. Or you could be stuck upside down with your seatbelt on. and Yeah. 
your you know you're got a cut or whatever it is and you got your bhrk right right there on your revisor just reach out and grab it so. yeah and and look uh, I won't be shy about saying the price. It's ninety nine ninety nine. That comes with a BHRK kit. That comes with the bungee to allow you to run a tourniquet, and that comes with a visor panel. But wait, there's more. You could convert that entire panel setup into a low vis chest rig with three straps. You can get that done. You want to talk about that? So yeah, uh, the uh, visor panel kit will come with. Uh, it's actually two straps. Oh man, I messed it up. Sorry. Well, and it, it what it is, you'll we'll have a video on it so that you know when you get their visor panel, you can see the way that you know properly put it on your put it on yourself, your person. But it's going to be basically a a cross. Uh, what is it? Cross uh, straps, mm-hmm. and it's then it's going to waist have strap, a waist, and the waist strap will come around and buckle in, and it's boom, it's right there. You can adjust the tightness, you know, whatever it is, and. Well, I told him that I told I told Nick when we designed this, I was like, hey, man, I, it has to be an X-Harness because it has to be load-bearing. X-Harness, here you go. There's so many low-vis chest rigs that you could put on, but you can't load-bear them. I mean, you can't put a gun, you can't put ammo, binos, weight in it because it then it starts sucking off your chest. Yep. Um, you need the ability to X-Harness it and then run it on your chest to be able to run uh, your kit on it. Yeah, and the way it's designed, uh, there's a the, – the panel itself, it – there's a little slot in there, so you can put your not your whatever hand your handgun. You can put a knife in there, your walkie-talkie, whatever you want in there. And if you're running it with our uh, low vis holster, there's an actual clip or a little space that's cut out that you can put that clip in. So if you need to draw it, it the uh, the holster stays in place, and it's like that. I love that part. man. So it's a little it's groove. A little genius. Nick little Arbor idea. Arms. Those yeah. dudes are have their shit together, man, yep. and I love them. Um, I love you guys. Uh, honestly, I want to say thank you to everybody who's supporting the company. Um, you know, as a as a company who and as people who follow us as a company, we try to keep our doors open and and uh, in an honest conversation with our clients and our customers because we we think that's a the the best strategy. Uh, I even tell people my margins. I, I tell people how much I make, and I don't make a lot. We do this out of uh, our passion for purpose. Um, in our mission, which is to better prepare you, you guys. And one thing I do appreciate for the customers is, is the patience. I mean, I try to every email I get either on my uh, email, which is George at com, or info or training, whatever it is. I really, I try to reply back as fast as I can. And if there's any issues, I, we try to take care of those within like one or two days. So I appreciate everybody's patience and just their, and I love getting the emails that are like, Hey, thank you so much for shipping my package out. You know, or if, you know, I got, you know, we're, we're not an automated system here. I mean, we're, we're human beings and small business and small business. And, you know, we, we may send the wrong size out or the wrong color hat. I mean, it happens, but just getting people to say, Hey, I got the wrong size hat. What can I do? And it's not like this. You sent me the wrong hat. I can't believe you did that. I mean, everyone's like really nice about it. So it's like, it, it makes it easier for the customer service side of it to really, um, take care of you guys and, 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 you know, you get, you take care of us when we, when we mess up. So yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for having some empathy. Yeah. All right, guys. Hey, uh, thanks for tuning in. PhilCraftSurvival.com, PhilCraftMobility.com. Thank you for everything you guys do for us. Until next time. Stay alert. Come on, man. Oh, wait. Hold on. Reset. Sorry. I was going to. But you have to free flow, man. This is. Oh, okay. okay. Hey, guys. Until next time. Stay alert. Stay alive. Mm-hmm.